really important for us to know when to speak and when to be quiet. And that is one of those life skills that are just huge because, as you know, you can say a few things and really mess up your life, or you can not say a few things and really hurt somebody. And so you need to know when to speak and when to be silent. A couple examples is one, a married couple had a quarrel and ended up giving each other the silent treatment. Have you ever done that before? Well, this couple's quarrel went on for a week. And this businessman, he needed to get up in the morning to catch a flight. It was very important. So he and his wife weren't speaking to each other. And he still needed his wife's help anyway. He's like, he wrote her a note that says, I need to be up at 5 a.m. to get on this flight. Could you please wake me up? So 5 a.m. came, he was still asleep. At 9 a.m., he woke up and realized that he had overslept and he missed his flight and he was all upset at his wife and everything. And so he's like, why didn't you remind me? But he looks over and he sees a note on the alarm clock that says, it's 5 a.m., wake up, handwritten, a note right there. You know, for a family and everything, if that was a really important thing, it'd probably be a good idea. You know, maybe she were to shake him to wake him and... It's kind of silly that you'd go that long anyway in the midst of a conflict. That's an example of somebody that really should have spoken up. We're going to hear a little bit about Jonathan Edwards, a guy from the 1700s who uh, went to college at age 13, and he's a great reformer, part of the Great Awakening. Anyway, the story goes that when the Spirit of God revived much of our nation's early faith, Jonathan Edwards was presiding over a massive prayer meeting with 800 men praying with him. Into that meeting, a woman sent a message asking the men to pray for her husband. The note described a man who had become unloving, prideful, and difficult. Edwards read the message in private, and then, thinking that perhaps the man described was present, made a bold request. Edwards read the note to the 800 men. Then he asked that the man who had been described would raise his hand so that the whole assembly could pray for him. 300 men raised their hands. Maybe that's where you're at today too. Maybe you put on a good show. You've got the Christian life all packaged together and on the outside you look really godly and everything's right in your life. But on the inside, you know there are things that you need to be prayed for. There are things that you need to confess. Um, it's possible that maybe you've done something in the past long ago and you never got caught and it's just eating you up and tearing you up inside. And um, Hopefully you will be encouraged today as we look at David in Psalm 32. We're going to read Psalm 32 in just a moment, but Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 go together. Psalm 51, David is repenting of his sin with Bathsheba having her husband killed and the confession of sin and everything. And then in Psalm 32, we see that David is talking about being blessed. Blessed in Psalm 1-1 is used of a person who leads an untarnished life. But here it's used of one who has God's forgiveness. God has forgiven him fully. God does not count a truly penitent person's, penitent person's sin against him. So maybe you've committed that sin before, not having somebody's husband killed, but a sin that has caused you great grief. And you have found relief when you have confessed that before the Lord. When you have unconfessed sin in your life, it makes it hard for God to bless you. When you have unconfessed sin in your life, it makes it hard to be powerful 
for God, which is why Psalm 32 is so interesting, Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, because David carried this sin with him for a year before Nathan the prophet came and said, hey, we have a problem here. The opportunity for forgiveness has all been purchased and taken care of through what Jesus has done. You see, in 2 Samuel 11, all the difficult, terrible things that David did, and he's the guy who writes Psalms. He was king. He was the person who oversaw the affairs of Israel. He was doing all this stuff. He probably went to the worship service. He probably led people in worship while he dealt secretly, while he pushed down this unconfessed sin in his life. But when he found forgiveness, when he felt set free, when he knew that God had forgiven him, he knew that he could move on in the relationship that he had with God. He knew that God wasn't going to hold that sin against him. And a lot of people say, this psalm is great for the unbeliever who received Jesus Christ as their Savior. But I would like to say this psalm is great for the believer in Christ who struggles, like Paul in Romans chapter 7, struggles with sin and struggles with difficulty to find blessing and forgiveness. Psalm 32, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in Him. Maybe I've mentioned this and you know exactly I don't know, by the way, so I'm not looking at you. What type of struggle is in your life? Maybe right now you can just put that in the hands of the Lord. So just in prayer right now, say, Lord, you know, you know what it is. Please forgive me of fill in the blank. I know it's not your best for me. I know it's not right. Please forgive me. Help me to experience your forgiveness. Help me to take steps not to do that again. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name. I will not be silent. I will not be silent. This Jonathan Edwards, at the age of 19, knew that after he had gone to college and seminary and everything at the right age of 19, that he was going to have a big job ahead of him. And this guy was passionate about experiencing God. And I have shared with you his resolutions before we printed them out and handed them out before. But resolution number 22 that he wrote said, Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, figure, and vehemence, yea, violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert or in any way that can be thought of. Are you that passionate for God? Are you that sold out 
to God that you would see this world here as temporary, because it is, and to see God and your relationship with Him as the first, most awesome priority and pursue it with all power, might, vigor that you're capable of. Out of 70 resolutions, we could apply them all to life, but this one, this one, what? This blessedness and this happiness, and what and for whom is this happiness? How do we experience happiness in God? I mean, to be blessed is more than just feeling happy, but it's to be experiencing true hope and peace with God. It's the ability to be in the midst of God's blessing and plan. The term is always plural, to connote the abundance overflowing and profuse grace and blessedness that God showers upon those who love Him. And it's only possible through repentance and through what Jesus Christ has done. So transgression, the sin against God that we carry around will be a great burden to us. But blessed is he or she whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. It's interesting that in the Bible, in the Psalms, we see that the man who is still in sin is basically considered uncovered and naked. And here, we can be covered through what Christ has done and to be able to experience that forgiveness. So we want to be blessed and we want to be happy. And you and I, who have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we talk about this every week, and by repenting, saying, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sin, please forgive me and come into my life and change me. And then pursuing a relationship with Him, we can experience that forgiveness and have eternal life. We're called born again, adopted as children of God. Blessed are those people. Blessed are those people who are forgiven. True happiness is forgiveness for the transgressions. When we carry around the idea of sin, when we carry around the transgression, one, it separates us from our relationship with God, and two, it makes us feel like God can't use us. We come to the point where we say, well, I wouldn't dare invite my neighbors to church because they know what I did three years ago at that party that I had. And oh, well, you know, but true happiness, forgiveness for transgression, to be able to go back to those same people. And if they say, hey, you know, would you like to come to church with me? Would you like to come to the men's event with me? Why don't you come over to my house? We'll have dinner and lunch or whatever and start to invest in their lives so that they might know Jesus Christ. And then they bring that thing up and they say, well, this is kind of hard. You go to church? Well, I, I didn't know after that party thing and everything. And, uh, well, and for you to say, yeah, that was wrong. And I ask God to forgive me. And if I've offended you, I ask you to forgive me too. But to be forgiven of the transgression from God sets you free then to reach out. And then you say to that person, well, I did do that, but God has forgiven me. And whatever it is that you might have done in your past that makes you feel separated from God, if you would come to Him through Jesus Christ, you can experience true happiness and that forgiveness too. So, because He forgives our transgression, He literally lifts our transgression, guilt, and punishment from us. Secondly, true happiness, it consists in having our sin covered. The word here for sin means missing the mark and failing to do what we ought to do. So, sins of commission, sins of omission, failing to do what we ought, to love God and others as we ought. So, and you can try to explain it away, but when your sin is covered, 
by the blood of Jesus Christ, then you are set free to truly enjoy happiness. And true happiness consists in the Lord not counting our sins against us. The third term describes sin as a crookedness, a wickedness that twists and perverts our relationship with our God. And David says, look what the Lord has done. He doesn't count my wickedness. He doesn't count our wickedness against us. The Bible says He remembers our sin no more. As far as the east is from the west, and true happiness is the possession of the confessing Christian. So what that means then is that we confess the sins that we do that hurt others, that get in the way of our relationship with God and the things that we do wrong. And hopefully you do that. You know, First John 1 9 tells us to confess our sins and it's a clean, true confession when we say, and we pray, Lord, I did this. Please forgive me of this specific thing. I don't know why, or I do know why I did it. Please help me not to do it again. That is a true confession. And Max Lucado writes, Confession does for the soul what preparing the land does for the field. Before the farmer sows the seed, he works the acreage, removing the rocks and pulling the stumps. He knows that seed grows better, that the land is prepared, and confession is the act of inviting God to walk the acreage of our hearts. There is a rock of greed over here. Father, I can't budge it. And the tree of guilt near the fence? Its roots are long and deep. May I show you some dry soil too crusty for seed? God's seed grows better if the soil of the heart is cleared. So, what gets in our way? Sometimes it's the deceit of concealed sin. The Bible says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through groaning all day long. And this deceit, this explaining away, this almost... You don't deal with it because it presents itself as it's okay, it doesn't really matter. It's a deceit of concealed sin. As you struggle with that unconfessed sin, maybe you find yourself feeling trapped. Maybe you find yourself in a situation where you've created trouble and now you don't even know how you're going to get out of it. You know, the Bible says that we shouldn't have any guilt or deceit left upon us. All believers continue to sin are therefore guilty. So David is not talking to the saint without guilt. No, David is talking about the saint living without deceit. So do you have willful sin? Do you think, okay, I can do this sin and I can get away with it. I can, I can sin in this way and it doesn't really matter to God because God and I have an understanding that says that I'm going to do all these things, but I have a special area of my life where it's mine and I'm going to do all the godly things, but this sin over here is my little deal. And God understands why I need to do it. And it's okay. And concealed sin is sin. And it will get in the way of you living a blessed life. It will get in the way of you truly experiencing God. And if you do it, you're still guilty. And you need to confess that before the Lord. And sometimes people get into situations where they've made a mess themselves. They've made a mess and they can't fix it on their own. There was this lady years ago, she was a telephone operator. And this back when they used to assist you with calls, he fed the pay phone with enough so he could make this overseas call. And he continued to talk while the operator was sitting there saying, you need to deposit more money. You need to deposit more money. And he went way over time. And the operator was trying to be kind and understanding. And instead of putting in his points for the overtime, he slammed down the phone irate and verbally abused this operator. But a few seconds later, he was back on my line, somewhat calmer. 
He says, Operator, please let me out of the phone booth. I'll pay, I'll pay, just let me out. The customer mistakenly thought I had control of the phone booth's door and locked him in. He gladly paid the overtime charge, with my advice, gave the booth door a hefty kick to free himself. There's a lot of times when we know how we got into the situation and we think it might be okay. But as we continue on in our life and our experience with God and others, we realize that, no, I can't let that one go. It's not okay. I better confess it right away. An example of that was just the other day when I was in a hurry to get out the door and I was going to deposit a check, but I didn't have the deposit slip and Julie was going to deposit it and she had it in her hand and I'm sitting there. I'm trying to rush out the door and I said to her, I said, just, just give it. And then I laughed and I'm driving down the street thinking, that didn't go so well. So I called her up and I said, I'm sorry. I was surprised, as surprised to hear me shout, just give it as you were. And I'm sorry. And you and I need to be quick to confess so that we don't end up trapped or feeling trapped. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations that we have worked our way into and only God can help us out of it. So here we have David who had sinned against God but yet carried it with him for over a year and he finally found forgiveness in Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is one that we can read over and over and be assured that we will find help and hope and forgiveness. Because if we're going to keep silent, it's going to eat away at us. If we're going to keep silent, it can destroy us. If we're going to keep silent, it can cause all sorts of trouble. In June 1984, the Boston Globe reported a tragic drowning of an eight-year-old boy named Chris. He had drowned in eight feet of water while hunting for golf balls at a local country club with three of his friends. According to his friends, Chris entered the pond and pretended that he was drowning. His friends said they thought he was playing a trick on them. It was no trick or game. Chris drowned. In the aftermath of his death, the behavior of his friends startled many. One of the three began crying frequently and had to sleep with his mother. A second started hearing voices and seeing visions and was later committed to a hospital for emotionally disturbed children. A third, an 18-year-old, was fired from his job because he would stay home from work when he felt angry and disgusted about telling a lie to protect a friend. After the drowning, all three witnesses suffered emotional instability, according to their parents, police, and themselves. The distraught parents say the boys were withdrawn and had nightmares they were no longer friends. This was the mental and emotional trauma afflicting these boys for two years. But then the secret was uncovered. One of the boys confessed that Chris did not drown accidentally. He was pushed. This boy confessed that he had pushed Chris into the water. The two other boys conspired with him to hide the truth from everyone else. The police investigated and charged the boy with manslaughter. They were involved in a cover-up. Carriers of a lie and suppressors of the truth, but they could not escape the consequences of their deceit. And neither could David. And there are consequences. But God knows that we are fallen and sinful. And God knows that we can't help ourselves. And He has provided a way for us to be forgiven of our sin, positionally through what Jesus Christ has done, and practically from day to day through living a confessing type of life where as soon as you realize that you have committed some type of sin, sin is doing anything against God's will, that you go to the Lord and you confess that. The Holy Spirit will bring things to your mind and the more you try to suppress them, the harder your heart seems to get and the fainter the Holy Spirit's call seems to be. But as you confess, then you can find forgiveness as you bring that out before the Lord. The Holy Spirit will convict you through conviction by His Spirit and His Word. You might read through God's Word and realize that 
oh, I'm doing this and this is wrong and I've, I've spoken in this way and this is wrong. Please forgive me, God. And as you do that then, you will find that ability then to walk with confidence before the Lord and be ready to live a blessed life. The Bill Bright had mentioned that when looking at your life, at the end of the day maybe, you look over your life for any sin that you don't pick out every little tiny thing because you just pick yourself apart, but you wait for the Holy Spirit to bring things to mind and you confess those things. Genuine conviction will lead to sincere confession. Confession of things that you and I do that dishonor God. Sometimes they're private, sometimes they're public things but sometimes they are secret sins. So you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So if there are secret sins in your life, you need to go before the Lord and you need to confess those. Hence your confession is secret between you and God alone. Then there are private sins. Jesus talked about this. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. It's between the two of you. He, if he listens to you, you have one your brother over, you confess those things privately. Sins against another person. Sins that led to conflict. Sins that created some type of difficulty. And if you come to the small group Bible study on Tuesday, on Monday for the women and Tuesday for the men, you'll learn the seven A's of a good confession. And then there are public sins. Public sins that the church knows about or people know about that are causing conflict and difficulty. Public sins. Public sins are those sins committed against a group, a people, a community, a congregation. And since those sins have affected an entire group, the confession should be made to the entire group. So if somebody here started a rumor or a conflict, it would be good and affected the whole group. It would be good if they confessed that to the entire group. A good example of a confession, though it's not might not be a perfect godly example, but a good example of a confession was back in November of 2008. Time Magazine has this column called 10 Questions where readers are given opportunities to interview celebrities. In the November 24, 2008 issue of Time, Ted Turner was featured. A person from Sweden asked this question of Turner, do you still think Christianity is a religion for losers? Referring to Turner's much publicized rants against the Christian faith. And this is Turner's confession. He says, no, that was probably my most unfortunate comment. I apologized for it. I apologized for a lot of things that I've said. But I don't apologize nearly as much these days because I don't say as much. And I'm much more careful about what I say. I didn't mean to hurt anybody's feelings with that, but it did hurt people's feelings. And I am sorry. So as the Lord convicts, we confess. And then as we experience the forgiveness, as we experience the result of confession, then we realize and accept that God has forgiven all of our sins. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. To experience God's forgiveness is huge. To know that you have been forgiven of that thing in the past so that you can move on. We need to forget what was in the past. Now sometimes the bad stuff in the past will help us to relate to other people. Sometimes the bad stuff in the past will help us to come alongside somebody else who struggles. Not to tell them how we did even worse than them, but to have sympathy and compassion and to help them through it and to show them how they can get forgiveness and experience forgiveness. And as they get that experience, that experience of being truly forgiven then, they can continue to live this life and do great things for God. 
You know, not everything in David's life was perfect after that confession. He sinned against God, and all these difficulties came, and there was, there was no peace in his household as a result of his sin, but he was forgiven by God. The man after God's own heart was able to continue to praise and worship the Lord as he experienced that forgiveness. So, you and I, we struggle with a lot of things. And we do a lot of things and sometimes it's by accident. Sometimes it's because we're rushed. Sometimes it's because we just don't think much of it. And sometimes we're just so accustomed to the sin that's all around us we don't even think anything of it. Some people run around as Christians and they use God's name in vain all the time. And they don't even think about it because everybody else around them is saying, oh my, using God's name. They don't think anything of it. But when you look in God's Word, we're not supposed to use God's name in vain. So, it's a sin, but we might think everybody else does it. But it's not okay that everybody else does it, no. Instead, it's, uh, I really want what God wants and I want to honor God. So every time I use God's name in vain, I'm going to stop myself. Say, Lord, I did it again. Help me, help me not to say that anymore. Help me not to follow the culture into sinful stuff. But you and I, we can make some more resolutions ourselves. We should resolve sincerely to confess our own sins and gladly encourage and forgive others as they do the same. We look into God's Word and we see how we're supposed to live and it just seems so impossible. We can have the confidence that the Holy Spirit makes it possible. And as we mess up, as we fall down, we need to get back up again and we need to keep moving forward in the Lord. When I was a, a little kid, learning how to ice skate and everything, I first got to learn how to ice skate behind the chair. And so I'd push the chair around the rink and it would help hold me up. And then I'd start to do away with the chair, the crutch. Maybe the person that holds you up is the Christian around you that tries to help you live the Christian life. And eventually, you're starting to skate on your own, but you fall. And you need to get up. As soon as you fall, you need to say, Lord, I didn't done it again. Please forgive me. And you get up. And the more you gliding across the ice, the less you fall, the less you have to pick yourself up. And the same is true in the Christian life. The same is true in the Christian life, but there's one other part of that. One other part of that, knowing God's will and confessing things. And that's that God will start to show you as you've gotten the idea of walking through the Christian life without stumbling so much. God will start to show you different things that you need to confess. Before it was actions. And now God is talking to you about motives. Now it's motives. And maybe it's pride. And maybe it's all of these other things, and God will speak to you about it, and you confess that, and come before the Lord in true humbleness, because you want nothing more than Jesus Christ to be living through you, so that you can live a blessable life, so that you can, Joel mentioned during the worship time, that God just was really blessing his day. But what if God brought some experience into your life that you didn't expect? Somebody comes to you, and all of a sudden, you know, they're like, oh, what must I do to be saved? Will you say, well, you know, I'd really like to tell you about that, but I, I'm pretty far away from God myself right now. Or will you say, I've been praying for an opportunity like this. And, you know, so you, through the Holy Spirit, through His power, you make a difference in that person's life as you, through the Holy Spirit's power, share the gospel and help that person. But you and I need to do all that we can because Isaiah 29.15 says, Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? And Proverbs 28, 30, 13 says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, 
but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So here we have a Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us, holds out His hands to us, and all He wants us to do is to acknowledge our wrong, acknowledge our guilt, confess that to Him, receive forgiveness, and move forward. And that's the type of church we want to be too. We want to take people wherever they're at, whatever sin they've fallen into, we want to help them to get right with God and to move forward. We want to be a peacemaking church and a peacemaking people for God's glory. And if you've had some of those real difficult sins in your past, then you look back and you say, I'm not, I'm not all that I should be, not all that I want to be, but I'm not what I was. God's making a big difference in my life and I continue to pursue Him and to walk in Him and to ask for His forgiveness and to experience His forgiveness. And sometimes I go to those people and the people I've hurt and I ask them for forgiveness. We're going to talk more about that next week. Worship Him's going to come forward, but let's pray. Lord, we just thank You so much that You have given us the opportunity and the solution to know You personally and to be set free from the guilt that we carry because of our sins. Lord, it's easy for us to walk and to fall into sin, to be contaminated by the world, yet You know You want us to live holy lives. We're supposed to be holy as You are holy. And Lord, show us those things that are sinful and wrong so that we can confess them. So that we can walk in a right relationship with You in a blessable way. Let's not hide those transgressions, but let's be quick to confess them so that You can use us for Your glory, for Your purposes, and so that we can walk unashamed, without guilt, but in full forgiveness. There's great joy and blessedness and happiness in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.